So Daniel chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 15 through 28. Who enjoyed the study here last week? We had a pretty good one. Starting out in Daniel chapter 7. So we start to get some of the, over the next several chapters, some of the little bit more complicated to um, dissect some of these prophecies and things. But uh, prayerfully I'll be able to, to do a good job not to overcomplicate it or overreach for meanings and things, but just take what thus saith the Lord right out of the Bible and apply what knowledge we have of it and and I think we can learn a lot from it. As you remember, uh, as we started those first 15 verses in Daniel chapter 7 last week, we've got this uh, dream that Daniel has had. And, uh, and this dream occurred during the first year of Belshazzar, which remember is one of Nebuchadnezzar's sons. And uh, this, uh, this vision that he had, a lot of symbolism in it, a lot, a lot of imagery in this vision, wasn't there? Uh, we had beasts coming out of the sea. We talked about those beasts uh, quite a bit, um, how they represented you know, four kingdoms on earth, and how the visions here in chapter 7 are, you know, are consistent with the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had there in chapter 2. So we're dealing with the same four kingdoms. And, uh, and so Daniel's had this, uh, had this vision, and uh, today we'll start to explore the meaning of it. Um, a good question was asked last week concerning the Antichrist because we had here in this uh, vision of this dream uh, this little horn that we talked about last week, which would represent a king. It says here he was slain. And so there's, you know, when we get into Revelation and it talks about the Antichrist and his judgment, it may, it's the appearance that he's thrown into the lake of fire that he was not slain first. He was thrown. So that was a very good question. And, uh, I'd like to explore into that a little bit more, but for the sake of time, I think the easiest thing I can come up with is the fact that in Revelation we learn that the Antichrist was somehow fatally wounded, although he he had a he had a, a the it says his head was wounded, he had a wounded head, um, but for whatever reason, and this is. That's God's knowledge. He understands it more than I do, but for whatever reason, that Antichrist in Revelation, although he had a wound that should have been a fatal wound, uh, resurrected, right? Or he not resurrected, but uh, he came back on the scene. So I wouldn't say that he was literally dead and came back, but he had been slain and came back some kind of uh, in some kind of way. But I tell you what, I think that is a question maybe we can explore further if we ever get into a study of Revelation. I think it would be an easier easier book to talk about that. However, with that said, um, it was an excellent question. I appreciate the question. And it's good that we challenge one another to study our Bibles. Amen. And uh, even the even the complicated stuff, it's good to know it. It's good to apply ourselves to it. And uh, it's good to have friends and things that we can ask these questions and study these things out together. Um, I probably won't do much to explain that away today. But let's get in here starting in verse 15. Um, we left off, Daniel saw this vision of, a, of an everlasting dominion and a kingdom that shall not be destroyed. Amen. And whose kingdom is that? The kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. And then we go right into verse 15 here and I'll begin to read. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body and the visions of my head troubled me. 
I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. Remember, the kingdoms rose out of the sea. Now we've got the kings that will be the kings of those kingdoms rising out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Amen. Who's happy about that this morning? Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Now, uh, given that we're dealing with some scripture here that deals with tribulation, I'd be curious to hear from those uh, from that uh, that the Calvinist crowd that believe all that tulip stuff, and I don't want to confuse you with that, but they believe in this doctrine called the perseverance of the saints and how if you're really saved, you'll persevere all the way to the end. And some of them believe, and they don't believe in premillennial uh, rapture, but how do they explain then that there's this beast here, it says here, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom. All right, but then it looks looks down and it says that this king, in verse 21, I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. He prevailed against them. And in Revelation, we clearly see a picture of those that are referred to as saints uh, being overcome by Babylon and all this stuff. How do you explain that in the in the realm of theological doctrines with this whole idea that the truly saved will never fall to anything. They persevere to the end. Uh, you know, I think the Bible tells us very clearly that a saved person, very capable of, of falling, very capable of getting into sin, very capable of struggling with things in their life. And if they fall into something, it, we're told to, to recover one in the spirit of meekness, Right. And we're told we better watch ourselves because we ourselves can be tempted even if we go about trying to restore such one in a spirit of pride. Then what happens to us? We put ourselves in harm's way. Um, perseverance, the Bible tells us He is able. He, Jesus Christ is able to keep us. Amen? And the minute we take our eyes off of His works and we start thinking we're doing anything on our own, let any man that think he stand take heed lest he fall. Better watch out. You go thinking you're doing something on your own. You're setting yourselves up for a fall, buddy. That's called pride. Uh, just, I, just, I, I see these scriptures and I think, you know what? Here we have, and this wasn't even in the outline today, but here we have an image here that, that Daniel has had. And here's this tent, this uh, little horn, and he's seen making war against the saints and prevailing against them. 
Now, let me give you this uh, also. It's worth pointing out. Saints in the Hebrew language, in the Greek, it doesn't, the word saints does not only apply to um, believers in Jesus Christ. So there are, there's a chasidim, there's, a, there's the word does apply to some Jewish believers and to some of the Jews as well, okay? So it doesn't, um, while we in Christ during the dispensation of grace are made saints through our faith in Jesus Christ, the word does appear in the Bible referring to the Jews, and that is absolutely the truth. In Revelation, where you see the word occur during the tribulation period, where the saints, those of us in Christ, were not here. Amen. We're raptured. So keep that in mind. But uh, yes, um, while God is in control, uh, here we have a picture of, of some of God's people being overcome. But then God's going to have the final say in it. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that today? So let's look on. That was verse 21. And it says here they, in verse 21 that this, uh, this little horn was prevailing against them who, the saints, for how long did, that, did this war go on? For how long were these saints prevailed against? Verse 22 is the answer. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. See that? So God allowed it to happen. It's definitely a reference to Jerusalem. It's definitely a reference to Israel during the tribulation. And what, what is happening at the time of Christ's literal second coming to earth? Well, we know that all of Israel's, God's people, all their enemies are surrounded around there, the valley, and, and waging war, and certainly by appearances overcoming God's people uh there in israel and but then but then jesus shows up amen and he defeats the enemies he defeats god's enemies and establishes his kingdom and so that's a reference to that verse 23 thus he said the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time in times and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me and my continence changed in me but i kept the matter in my heart aren't you glad see there in the middle of that passage did it not does it not trouble your heart to have that picture of, you know here's this this wars being waged against god's people and, and it looks like they're being overcome listen it doesn't have to look good guess what things don't look good today jesus has got the victory amen and i love how that uh, God does that on purpose with Daniel's vision and gives him that 
that conclusion there, the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. We're going to win in the end. Amen? Doesn't matter what it looks like right now. Guess what? We know the conclusion of the whole matter. God's given it to us. So praise the Lord for that. But let's go back through. We've got plenty of time. Let's look at, uh, let's just start back in verse 15. As I studied through this, I had a couple things that came to me that I, I think you will appreciate. You may take a couple notes. But here I, uh, it says, Daniel was grieved in his spirit, in the midst of his body, and the, and the visions that he was having in his head had troubled him. So let me give you this. Daniel was grieved in his spirit. Uh, you know, having revelation in the word of God is an enlightening thing. When we study the word of God and God reveals something to us in his word, it enlightens us. Amen. Um, having revelations in the word of God is a joyful thing. When I study the Bible and God allows me to understand new things in the Bible, and I know that they're what God wants me to pull out of the Bible, I have great joy. Does that not bring you joy when you're reading the Bible and you're, but you know what else? Having revelations in the Word of God can also be a grievous thing. Because as we read the Word of God and we have great joy knowing what God has taught us about salvation, about His plan, we have great joy at verse 27 of this chapter. Because we know that we've got an incoming that's one that we look forward to, the kingdom of Christ. Yet the middle of this chapter grieves us because we understand um, knowing the word of God, we have heavy hearts with the knowledge of what will come of God's enemies. Amen? So while I have great joy that I'm saved, I'm also grieved for those that are not. Because we know what the Bible says. So while it enlightens me, it also breaks my heart for those who continuously refuse it, push it away, and don't want it. Because I understand how it ends for them. Um, with knowledge of the Word of God also comes great responsibility. Amen? If we know what it says is going to happen to those who are lost, and we really believe we really believe in a hell and we really believe in a tribulation, then we ought to really believe God wants us to go out and tell people the gospel. Amen? And, uh, and if we don't, then we're being disobedient because even James tells us that if we know what to do and not do it, to him it is sin. Amen? And so that convicts me today. And you know what? I'm going to just tell you. If you go out and you give out tracts every day of the week, you will still have some sense of you, you just you can't you can't hit everyone. You, you see what I'm saying? You have to keep going. You you will always have that overwhelming sense of I'm not doing enough. Um, it just I, if anybody that's serious about souls, you'll always feel you always feel like Lord, I just feel like I'm not doing enough. I just feel like I'm not doing enough. You know what I mean? Um, and so I you know while I want us to get tracks out here at our church, I just want you to understand the more you do it. First of all, Satan will fight you more. You'll have to fight against more things, and that's that's not a reason not to do it. But you will always feel like, man, I, I mean, one day, you know, we were up here in the neighborhood somewhere where I get up that way, and I didn't realize how many homes that fit in the new Le uh, one neighborhood of New Lexington. Amen. It's like, well, we're out of time. And it's like, and then you see someone come out of it. You just listen. You just have to faithfully endure. Do what you can as often as you can. Don't be hard on yourself. Um, you'll have days where your flesh is just telling you no. 
just if you could just try to get out some here and there, you're making a difference. You're getting the gospel out. You're being obedient. But uh, but so it can be. So the word of God is a joyous thing. It is an enlightening thing. But it can also be um, a grievous thing because we found here even Daniel is overwhelmed by the knowledge of God's judgment. When we consider the judgments of God, it can be an overwhelming thing. This very truth is why man does best to leave the judgments to God. Amen? If that which he does reveal troubles us, how much more would that which he hasn't revealed? Come on. Amen? And uh, let God be God. We can only handle what uh, so much anyway. We're... We don't, we don't, our wisdom does not compare. Um, so Daniel is troubled and this is what he does. He comes near unto one of them that stood by. Um, I can assure you, Daniel did not just grab some random person standing by him at this time. I, I have to, my conclusion of this is Daniel has grabbed one that stood by that's seen as part of this dominion with Christ in the everlasting kingdom because that's where he is during this vision, okay? That would make sense because remember, once we are with Christ in glory, the Bible tells us we will know as we are known. So somebody that's already there, he is looking into, he, God is giving him a vision of a future event where many things have come to pass, including the dispensation of grace. So the church age at this point in time that Daniel is seeing, while it has not yet come, that has been concluded. And so we will be with Christ around, we will be a part of that dominion, that millennial kingdom, and we're going to know all things. That's hard to imagine, that I'm going to know all that, you're going to know all that. Isn't that amazing? It's hard to think about that, but we will know as we are known. So Daniel, so now Daniel is seeking truth. If you will, um, he's asking he's asking this one that stands by the truth of all of this. Daniel is seeking truth and understanding, and what God has done is He has allowed in this vision for there to be an interpreter to explain some things to Daniel. Um, who that is, we don't know. It doesn't really tell us. It just um, tells us that one that stood by, and obviously one that would know, or God would have never allowed them to open Daniel's knowledge and understanding to the matter. Um, and so, so that's how that went. So here's the thing, though. The more important thing of, than who that is is the fact that Daniel was troubled by some things about the revelation God gave him, and so he sought truth. Amen? It's important for us to seek truth and understanding in our Christian life. Amen? We shouldn't stay ignorant to the Word of God we should seek truth and understanding in it, especially on the more uh, complicated things as you get into the meat of the word and as you grow spiritually. Uh, I'll give you a couple verses on this, and you may write them down. The first one is Psalm 25, verse 5. I like this one. Psalm 25, verse 5. Reads, lead me. In thy truth, and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation, on thee do I wait all the day. And I believe that captures 
Daniel's spirit towards God at this time. He understands God's the God of his salvation. He under he understands who he's waiting on, and he understands where the guidance will come from. And so he, he so just like this psalm, lead me in thy truth and teach me. We need to be led in truth. We need to be taught by truth. Uh, we seek truth, right? So here's a couple things. We seek truth. We are led by truth. And in the next scripture example, we'll turn there. We find out that truth also preserves us and purifies us. So we seek truth. We're led by truth. The truth preserves us, and the truth purifies us. Um, hold your spot here in Daniel, and turn to Proverbs 16, if you would. In Proverbs 16, well, I was just going to read uh, verse 6, but maybe I'll start in verse 1. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I heard some chuck because of the spirit just like, man, that the whole thing applies. We could just I love it. We could we could turn this into a Proverbs 16 Bible study all of a sudden. But look look at Proverbs 16. I'll start in verse 1. It certainly applies. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. I'd say that would apply to this chapter we're reading, because we talked about those four winds of heaven and those four kingdoms, the fact that those kingdoms came and went because God was in the middle of that to accomplish his will and purpose. It's not that the Lord is tempted of evil. That's not the Bible tells us that the Lord does not tempt man with evil. That's not how God works. It's that God is in control of all things. One, He has a permissive will and will allow man the free will to make his own decisions, even if those decisions are the wrong ones. Amen. Uh, but in that, the Lord will use even the evil of this earth to accomplish his purpose. He can take something bad and turn it into something good and use it for his will. Amen. Um, only God can do that. Amen. Uh, it just says here that uh, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord, though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. We've seen that with those four kingdoms that we're studying in this chapter. And then verse 6, by mercy and truth. Iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So there you see preservation and purification. Amen. How do we get uh, the preservation and purification? By, by truth. Amen. And so we'll, we'll, there's uh, quite a bit of scripture on that. I don't have time to go into all of them, but uh, the Word of God has a cleansing effect, a purifying effect, a sancti uh, sanctifying effect on the life of the believer. And the most important thing that truth does, the truth of God's word, is the truth of the gospel saves us. Amen? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that's uh, John 14, 6. Let me give you one more on this. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. 
And look at verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1. And I'll give everyone a second to get there. Amen when everyone has it. Ephesians chapter 1 and look down at verse 13. Well, we could start at verse 12, actually give us a little bit. Start in verse 12. That we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Amen. The truth saves us. And uh, and you know what? One of the reasons why carnal man has such a difficult time accepting the truth of the gospel is because it's so simple. It's simplified. Amen. God didn't complicate it. It's as easy as saying, yes, I've sinned. I know there's a consequence of sin, which is eternal separation from God, eternity in hell. That I... I can't be good enough to make up for it. I can't save myself, right? Nothing I can do can pay the price for my sin against God. Jesus Christ paid that price for me. That's the simplicity of the gospel. And all I have to do is believe. And there's enough evidence God has given us to believe, one, who God is. And so if He proves who He is to us all through the Word, then we should be able to trust in the truth of the gospel that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? That Jesus Christ came, born of a virgin. We're celebrating Christmas right now. Praise the Lord. Why was he born of a virgin? Because he had to be. He couldn't have the sin nature of man in him. Or he wouldn't have been perfect. He was completely sinless and perfect. Never sinned. And that's why God could accept his sacrifice of himself in our place. On the cross. Put in the tomb. Risen by the... He is the power of God. Resurrected from the dead. Literally. Bodily. Resurrected. Then appeared to many witnesses and proved that it was Him before ascending back to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Then He sent back the Holy Spirit to complete the works of forming the church. And now all we have to do is believe and rest in the works already been done. Everything's been done for us. Amen? Believe and wait. Wait on the Lord. But carnal man has a hard time with that. Because we learn very quickly in life when something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Right? It's the carnal nature. God can only be good. And so, yes, He's too good. But He proves the truth of it over and over and over and over again. Man is speculative, not really on what the Gospel says, what man wrestles with the most is speculations on what the motive and the intentions of a sinful man is, right? They have more problems with the person delivering it than they do with what it says. They, it's always something about what's in it for you. What are you up to? What are you trying to get over on me? What's the incentive here? What's the motive here? 
Because we live in a world where people care about themselves more than anyone else. And so it's completely backwards and upside down for someone to care enough about their eternity to share the gospel with them. And you just have to explain it. Listen, I really believe what this says. And because of that, I love you enough to tell you. And you don't have to listen. And you can think that I might be up to something, sir. I'm not. I'm not trying to get you to our church. I'm not trying to do. I don't need money. I don't need anything. All I want you to know is God loved you enough to send Jesus Christ to the cross for you. And you do with that what you will. But we have a responsibility to tell people because time's running out. And uh, I'll tell you what, the truth of the gospel, if we just believe it, it's so simple. But I'm glad that God made it simple because I already do a good job complicating everything. And don't, don't you dare laugh because you might be thinking to laugh at me right now for saying it. But I can do a good job of complicating something. God made it so if we'll just stand on what it says, we can't, we can't mess it up. Amen? And, and He did that on purpose. So, uh, But there's the truth. We seek the truth. It preserves us. It purifies us. Uh, it, it enlightens us. It gives us responsibilities. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful that in our study here, we'll go back to Daniel here, that Daniel seeks the truth and we see some some things that we can apply in our own lives. First of all, it is a wise thing for us to seek after truth. Amen. Um, while I still got plenty of time to finish up our chapter here, let's look at this interpretation of the dream, what the interpreter reveals. And so Daniel had, had gone for the, he was seeking the interpretations. And uh, here's this one. It says here in verse 16 So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. Uh, and so we see here that we have it revealed to us. Daniel had it revealed to him. There's four beasts. These beasts are four kings. These four kings were kings over those four kingdoms that we've talked about. Uh, remember, we had, uh, we had discussed, and I'll throw a little twist in here too. We had discussed the Babylonian kingdom and the, Me the Median Persian kingdom and the, and the Greece kingdom and the Roman kingdom. Um, and then there's a lot of evidence to that through the uh, illustrations that were given. Let me tell you this, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the focus of what he saw was on the outward power of the four kingdoms. And they were envisioned in what the world would consider their splendor. Amen? Uh, what God considers splendor and what the world considers splendor is two different standards. But uh, in explanation of what I'm saying... Uh, we saw the gold, the bronze, the silver, the brass, the iron. Amen? But in Daniel's dream, what we're seeing are the true characteristics of these kingdoms. Amen? Even something of splendor might look fantastic, but what is the true character of it? You know, the world is deceptive. Satan is deceptive. If, the, if Satan... You know, you listen, if Satan can make something look great. But what are the true characteristics of it is what you need to concern yourself with. So in Daniel's dream, these kingdoms are, are revealed as beasts, birds of prey. They're warlike, devouring, and forceful. Amen? So we begin to see um, the true characteristics of it. It's the same. We see the same kingdoms, but he gives a little bit of a different perspective. That's how uh, God works. Um, we see in the interpretation of the dream here that Daniel's having interpreted a reference to four kingdoms. I want to point something else to you that I thought was pretty pretty fascinating. So we see four kingdoms, plural. It, it spells it out to us, four kingdoms. 
But then in verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom. Amen? And possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Aren't you grateful for a forever and ever and ever, the eternal the eternal God and the eternal kingdom? So I want to give you this. All kingdoms, plural, right? Kingdoms with an S on the end. All the kingdoms of earth become the one kingdom of Christ, singular. Amen? That's how, that is exactly how to view that. The saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and forever and ever. So all of them are consummated into one. Christ will reign over all because He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's not sharing His millennial kingdom with any other kingdoms. He's, he's going he's to reign over all. Amen. He will reign over all the earth. And so we see that. And, and then we get to be a part of that. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that? An eternal kingdom that we'll share with Christ. So I'll give you this. We're not talking about Rome anymore, are we? Amen? Talking about the millennial kingdom. And so, uh, and I will point this out. So there's many different theologies on this. When we get into Daniel 7 and we talk about this kingdom of iron, the one that references the iron, it's easy to stay with the what's called the law of first mention. When you study the Bible, iron being a reference to Rome, there are many very solid theologians including two that i studied under one believes that it's actually a reference to a syrian kingdom there's another that believes that it's a turkish kingdom that deals with the antichrist at the end of times and i'll tell you this whatever you believe amen if it's rome turkey syria you know what none of that's going to matter to us we're not going to be here for an antichrist kingdom anyway so we'll be with christ and then when Christ comes back, it's Jesus' kingdom. And it doesn't matter who he took it from as far as I'm concerned. Uh, because it's, it's his. But I will say this. The final world Gentile kingdom uh, and the nationality of the Antichrist and all that is, is an insignificant detail compared to the fact that when Christ comes back, the kingdoms of earth, they all belong to him. Amen? And also, that is the... That is what makes the exchange between Satan and Christ in the wilderness that was so interesting is he takes them up in the high place and shows them all the kingdoms of earth and all of these will be yours if you'll bow down and worship me. There's many a men that will worship Satan for power. And Jesus was like, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only. Because he already knows uh, okay, Satan, you have your fun, but guess what? All those kingdoms belong to me. Amen. Uh, he was creator. It was just it just made when you see it and you understand it, it just makes it interesting. So, uh, regardless of who the where the nationality of the Antichrist, I'm not going to go into it. Regardless of if it's Rome, Syria, Turkey, or whatever else is out there, what we do know is that there's kingdoms rising and falling. There's going to be a final Gentile world dominion. And that we know that will be subdued by our, our King, Jesus Christ. So I'm just glad I won't be here for it. Amen? And I will be amongst the saints in the kingdom whose duration is forever and ever and ever. Amen? That's where we place ourselves in that. Um, and so that is, that's the best place to be. And so let's, I got five minutes, we'll, we'll finish up here. 
Uh, let's look at what we are, we are told about this fourth beast in verse 19 and 20. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, so he was different. He was exceeding dreadful, so he's a tyrant, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things. So we know he, he spoke great things, very deceptive. Uh, here we find whose look was more stout than his fellow, so he had a, a more desirable appearance, I guess is what that's telling us. Um, and so these are all the things that certainly seem uh, appeal to somebody of a carnal mindset. Amen? These are the things. A, a, a carnal person is, a, is attracted to a certain physical characteristic. A carnal person is easily, they want, they want somebody to tell them what they want to hear. A carnal person. So who is it that worships the Antichrist that we find out in It's carnal people. Amen? They've taken the mark of the beast and all this other stuff's happening. Um, but they're carnal. And so that's the problem with today is we, we know that the Bible says to be carnally minded is death. Amen? Somebody who's given to their unrestrained appetites, their carnal nature, they're just they're pulled into all the wrong things. Amen? And so the Antichrist will have no problem bringing them into subjection because the, he knows exactly what they're led by and he's able to deceive them. Uh, verse 21, I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. So we know that he makes war with the saints. So, while there's a war that takes place against the saints dealing with an Antichrist and stuff happening during the tribulation period, we know that the church that belongs to Christ, the body of Christ that's saved now, are delivered. Amen? But we still have a war that we're fighting today, don't we? We have a war that we have to fight. Amen? It may not be the same war that's going on here, but it has some of the same implications. Just remember as Christians... There is a war that we are fighting. Let me give you two verses on this before we get ready to close out. Go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, just go to chapter 1 there. Of course, there's a lot of scripture about fighting a good warfare and spiritual warfare. I can't obviously touch on all of them. I can give you a couple. This, Paul's writing to Timothy. And here in verse 18, Paul writes to him, says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies. What are we studying in Daniel? Prophecies. According to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. See, we have knowledge of what God, we have knowledge of, of the word of God and so while we have responsibilities with that also, because we know it, we're a threat to the enemy. So we've got a war that we need to fight as a result. And I'll give you one final one here. Go to 2 Corinthians, if you would. This is one of my favorite. Uh, in chapter 10, one of my favorite spiritual warfare verses. I say it to myself quite a bit, actually.
And it tells us here, because I need to get finished up, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. It doesn't tell us that we don't have a war. It just says that our war is not the same kind of war. That carnal, it's not the same kind. It tells us about it in verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. God's given us the resources we need to be victorious in our spiritual warfare. How long will we fight in this warfare? Look at verse 22 back in Daniel chapter 7. How long are we in our fight? Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. We'll fight in our war until either physical death makes us present with Christ or until Christ raptures the church off of earth and we'll be forever with Him in His kingdom. Amen? We fight to the end. Um, and then finally, as we close out the chapter, the last characteristics of this Antichrist kingdom. If you look over there, it tells us uh, verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High. So not only is this person deceiving people into following him, but he speaks against God. He wears out the saints of the Most High. It's uh, kind of an appearance of there's those that know the truth, and it just seems like nobody's turning to the truth at this point. They're all under that deception. The Bible, there's plenty of Bible passage, passages about that. But look at this, and think to change times and laws. Well, they've been doing that for a long time. Changing times, changing laws. I've said it recently. Man, times sure have changed. What is that a reference to? Well, people are acting today in ways they would not have acted 30 and 40 years ago. Amen? Uh, times have changed, and now they're changing laws. Things that we would have never thought 40 years ago would be legal, they're legalizing and making it okay. Uh, well, that's going to continue on into this Antichrist kingdom. I got no idea what kind of laws they're going to have. I don't want to know, amen? I'm thankful I'll be with Jesus. But no matter what they do, verse 26, as I finish up, but the judgment shall sit. They can change it all they want. God's law is not changing. What thus saith the Lord is going to stand. It says the judgment shall sit. They shall take away his dominion. That Antichrist is going to lose his kingdom. They're going to destroy it to the end. And then we see in verse 27, Hallelujah, praise God, the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's how it's concluded. Amen. Hitherto is the end of the matter. There's nothing else. Explanation point. Nothing else to be said about it. Amen. Jesus has the victory in the end and so do we. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the Sunday school lesson this morning and, uh, and God helping us get through that chapter and just everything that you've revealed to us, Lord. And so as we get uh, ready for our morning worship, help us store these truths in our heart that while we are still here and waiting for our Lord, to take us home, waiting for you, Lord, um, that we will continue to seek truth and continue to understand um, that we will allow you to lead us in truth, to sanctify us by your truth. Lord, purify us, preserve us. We're thankful for that. 
Help us embrace the responsibility your truth gives to us. And then because of what we have learned through your word, help us stand fast in the war that we must fight unto the end. Because it's souls that are on the line, Lord, and help us, uh, strengthen us, comfort us with these truths today, Lord. We need you, we love you, we thank you, we ask that you will bless the worship service to come, and it's just good to be in your house today, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of being here, in Jesus' name, amen.